We're going to confess together as we transition toward the message, Psalm 23. And so if you would just read it with me as a prayer, which of course is exactly what it is. And so in unison, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open now to us our eyes. Open now to us our ears to see our Shepherd, to hear His call with faith, to to comprehend, Father, with our minds, but not just with our minds, deep into our souls, the reality of who Jesus is for us who believe. And for those who are not yet Yours, who Jesus may become, and will be for those who turn and trust in Him. And so we draw near. This is Your Word. You spoke it. You inspired the author to write without error those things that You would desire for Your sheep, for Your people. You empower this Word by Your Holy Spirit, not only to inform our minds, but through our minds and into our hearts to instruct us to bend and shape our lives into that which is not only pleasing to You, and that's what matters most, but which also is of benefit and grace and ultimately joy for us. So open now our our whole lives to hear from You for Christ's sake. Amen. Familiarity breeds contempt. That's what the old saying says. It means that we tend to overlook those things that we know too well. And we just take them for granted. We don't think deeply about them and thus we all too easily can miss their real value. And which of us as husbands or wives haven't done that at least at some point with our spouses? So it is with this psalm. You know it. You've heard it a thousand times Perhaps at a funeral, you've seen it on plaques and coffee mugs. So that even unbelievers who never open the Bible themselves tend to be familiar with this psalm. And that's good. It's good unless that familiarity keeps you from hearing its message and receiving the blessing of actually knowing God as your shepherd. And so this morning, as we continue looking at various psalms, I want us to think hard about this psalm and what it means to know God as your shepherd and to rest confident in His faithfulness as He leads you through the traumas of this life and brings you safely home to the praise of His glory. 
And, and so to do that, the first thing that we need to receive from this psalm is to understand that the Lord is our shepherd who is faithful in His daily care of us who are His sheep. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord, the Lord, notice the all caps in your Bible. Most of your Bibles will put it that way. That is cluing you in that this again is Yahweh. This is Israel's covenant God. This is the God Israel knows through that covenant relationship. The God who saved them out of Egypt, protected them in the desert, and revealed Himself to them time and again in His Word. So this is not just some theoretical God up here in the sky. This is the God we know. This is the Lord who makes Himself known to us in His mighty works of salvation and in the faithful revelation of His Word. And it is this God who says, I am your shepherd. It is of this God we say, this is my shepherd. And notice, by the way, how personal this is. The image of a shepherd as God is is common throughout the Old Testament. Um, We see that in a number of places. Going all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 48, verse 15. Jacob says, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, this God has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Psalm 28, verse 9, Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Psalm 40, verse 11, the prophet uh, looking forward to Christ says that He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who have young. And then, of course, Jesus Himself says in John 10, 11, I am the Good Shepherd. And so this God, this Jesus, is our Shepherd. He is the one who tenderly cares for those who are His. But you see, here's the thing. I don't just want you to be aware of this biblical truth that God is the Shepherd pictured in Psalm 23. I really do want you to take this very personally. That's the beauty of the Psalms, isn't it? They are meant to be taken personally. They are meant to confront us with these truths, not only that we would grasp as doctrine, though we must begin there, but that they would invade and comfort and shape our whole lives. So it's not just that God is the shepherd image in Psalm 23, it's that you can say, this God is my shepherd. Can you say that? Just say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's try that one more time. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, do you believe that? You see, this is where we must begin. With the personal application of this truth to my soul and my needs. If you are a believer in Christ, you can appropriate this promise personally. You can count on this being true. And so if the Lord is your shepherd, what does that mean? What's what's the first thing that you would then know? Read verse 1 again. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not 
want. Now what does that mean? Want here doesn't mean something you desire. That's how we use the term in English today. You know, I'll have everything that I want. No, that's not what this is saying. Want is a holdover from Old English where it is a way of talking about not what you desire, but what you need. You know, having no wants means having no needs. I will have all that I need is what the psalmist is writing. And why will I have all that I need? Why am I confident about that? Because the Lord is my shepherd. And He is faithful and good. And so as a believer, if there's anything I need to be able to serve Him and walk with Him and to know that His promises are true, I will have those things through Christ. Philippians 4.19 would be the New Testament version of that. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I will have what I need Okay, specifically, what needs are we talking about here? Well, the next two verses unpack that image of the Lord as shepherd with a series of He statements. uh, Specific things that He does for His sheep. Notice verses 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, the shepherd, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He, He, He. Notice how active He is. This is not a God who is up there asleep on His throne. This is a God who is out there in the field involved with His sheep. He is involved, first of all, it says, in providing care for us. That's verse 2. He, the shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, picture that in your mind. That's what you're meant to do with poetry like the Psalms. You'll just read it. If you just read it, bear and leave it on the page, you pretty well miss it. You're meant to imagine this in your mind. You're meant to see what the holy writer is describing. And so here you are, a weary sheep. Now remember, the climate in Israel is very dry. It's not like Missouri. Well, we're in October now and it's kind of dry out there. But normally, Israel is not like Missouri. There's not just green fields of grass everywhere you look. uh, Little streams trickling at the bottom of every third hill. That's not Israel. Quiet places of abundant water and abundant provision are hard to find. But the shepherd knows where they are. The good shepherd knows where they are. And as the sheep follow his lead, he will bring them to those well-watered, abundant places, sometimes places nobody else even knows about. And it says that there, he makes me lie down. Now that doesn't mean he's forcing me. That's not what this is. It means he is providing for me. My soul needs rest. And my wise shepherd knows how to give it. And he will give it. Just like a wise parent knows how to give rest to a squirmy toddler, even when that toddler doesn't think she needs rest. And so he brings me, it says, to restful waters. That's the idea here. A place of rest and refreshment in him. Do you ever receive rest from the Lord 
even in the midst of the busyness and craziness of life? You ever just been given that gift from Him of being able to stop and drink in His presence? Dear one, this is one of the reasons that I work very hard to make sure that I have a quiet time every day. Not out of legalism, not because someone said I should do this, but because my soul needs to rest in His presence on a regular basis. I need to stop and drink in what my shepherd gives me. I need to know His presence. I need to draw near to Him. In fact, notice at the beginning of verse 3, the thought continues. He says, He restores my soul. Literally, this means He he causes me to return. Even repent, we could translate it. It's a picture of bringing the straying sheep back from the wilderness and under His tender care. Remember that picture of Jesus carrying the sheep on His shoulders? It was kind of referred to in one of the songs that we sang. How many times has He done that for me? Or for you? Dear believer, how how quick I am to stray from His side and get into trouble. And yet, the faithful shepherd comes after me. He leaves the ninety and nine in the sheep pen and comes into the woods seeking me. He finds me in the trouble I've gotten myself into and He brings me home and He tends my wounds. He restores my soul. He is involved in our lives. He goes after His sheep. Second, He is involved then also in leading us in the right, good way. Verse 3 continues, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So He didn't just restore me from what is bad, bringing me out of the wilderness. He leads me to what is good. Literally, it says He puts me back on the right track. And actually, the word there pictures wagon tracks. I think of a well-worn trail through the wilderness. You ever been out in the woods, kind of get lost and you're not sure where to go and here's this well-worn path. And you know that many have walked this path for uh, before. And you know it leads back to the place that you're trying to get. And so as a stupid sheep, I often get off track and do myself harm, but He, my faithful shepherd, brings me back to that well-worn path of righteousness, that well-worn path of holiness. And just think about how many have traveled this path before you. Think of how many countless thousands He has brought safely home, beginning with the Old Testament and Hebrews 11 and and, and others throughout all church history, how He has faithfully gone to get them and led them on the path of righteousness through through the work of sanctification and gotten them all the way home. And He will do that for me as I follow His lead. Jeremiah 6, verse 16, the Lord says, Stand by the roads and look. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. That's the path of sanctification He leads on to. It's the good ancient path laid out in the Scriptures. Uh, The path that brings us to that refreshing of our souls. Oh, dear one. Children, Young adults, all of us really, the Lord knows the right good way that leads to life. Left to yourself, left to your foolish heart, like a dumb sheep, you will abandon that way. 
Uh, Proverbs 14.12 There's a way that seems right to you. It looks right. The culture says it's right. Everybody around you screams, this is the way. And yet, it is the way that leads, Proverbs tells us, to death. But the Lord will lead you by that straight good way of His promise. He never leads a miss. Hear that. He never leads a miss. He never fails to get those who trust in Him all the way home. So you set your heart to follow Him knowing that His way is always right and good. This world will offer you many conflicting paths and many wagon trails you could follow, but all of them, all of them end in the same place in destruction. But Christ will never mislead you. He is the good shepherd who leads you on the right good way all the way home. Oh, you who are younger, you need to hear that. Some of you who are just coming into your teens or just into your 20s, you are going to face the advertising campaign of the enemy thrown in your face constantly. This is the way. Walk in it. And it's a way of destruction, a way of misery, a way of the, of, of the, of the devastation of your life and your soul. And here stands Christ and He says, I am the way. Come follow Me. And here's our guarantee. It says that He does that Notice at the end of verse 3, for His name's sake. Which means for His glory. It means that His reputation is on the line if He doesn't fulfill this promise of getting us who are His sheep home. A shepherd who cannot bring His sheep safely home is a bad shepherd. And God will not be known as a bad shepherd. He is the good shepherd who loves His sheep and so is determined to bring them home all the way home. John 6.39, Jesus says, This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose none of all those He has given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. Friend, you trust in Him, you follow Him in righteousness, and He will get you all the way home, saved, sanctified, secured. And so the Lord is my shepherd, who is faithful in His daily care. But second, notice also, the Lord is my shepherd who is strong in His daily protection. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death pictures all those dangers and trials and traumas that are a part of life in this broken world. As the shepherd moved his sheep from one pasture land to the next, he often had to lead them through some pretty dark places. Again, remember, Israel is not Missouri. The landscape is pockmarked with these deep ravines called wadis. And they were places of danger. Thieves hid there. Robbers, wolves hid in those crevices. There were, there were dark places in there that, that, that let in very little sun. Uh, sheep feared them for a good reason because for a sheep alone, they easily could mean death. We don't like dark places like that. But have you been in any dark places lately? Places where the sun doesn't seem to shine and death seems to stalk your heels. And those green pastures and quiet waters feel like they're but a distant memory. 
maybe maybe through the death of someone that you love. That's a dark place many of us have experienced. Maybe a broken relationship that shattered your view of what life would be. Or a bitter disappointment of some kind that has taken hold of your life. Maybe, maybe a very scary medical diagnosis. Those are dark places to walk. Or maybe you don't even know why. Maybe, maybe you're just there and it's dark and you have no idea how you got here. And yet notice something here. Notice the shepherd has led them here. For reasons that are his own, he has brought them to this place. Now the sheep don't understand that. The sheep can't see that. They don't understand that this is ultimately the way to greener pastures. All they can see is that it's dark and they are afraid. Maybe you're in a place like that right now. Dark and scary. You're not sure why you're here. You can't see any way out. This is where many lose hope. This is where the enemy whispers to end it all. But but Christian, understand, if you are His sheep, the shepherd has not only led you here, He will lead you through. And your place right now is not to try to get it all figured out so you can know why this is happening, but to keep following Him, to keep trusting Him, to keep walking where He leads. David says, even here in this dark place, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Because you are with me. Now, pay attention. Something very important just happened in this text. I don't want you to miss it. Do you see it? Do you see the shift in language that has taken place here in verse 4? Up to now, David has been talking about God. The Lord is my shepherd, third person. And it's an affirmation of faith. And it's an important affirmation of faith. But now, in the dark place, He is talking to God. For you are with me. Do you see how this has suddenly become a prayer? Why does that matter? Friend, because at some point, your theological affirmations about God have got to become prayers to God. Again, this must become personal. It must move beyond the merely mental and theoretical into the experiential. Sometimes we who value doctrine over against uh, so many that seem to have no place for solid truth and who are all about the experience forget that the reality of true doctrine ought to lead to true experience. So because some have a false experience, don't make that cause you to run from a true experience because the doctrine is supposed to get us there to Him. So that you you are able to say with confidence, You, Lord, are with me. That's why I'm not afraid. It's not because I'm so strong and secure in myself. Trust me, I'm not. It's because I'm secure in Your strong presence. And you are with me. You are near. The nearness of the Lord, especially in times of trouble, is one of the believer's greatest comforts. Oh, do you know this comfort? Do you know this comfort? So I'm always reminding you of passages like Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit so that when you're brokenhearted and crushed, you can say, He's near. 
He's near. It's dark. I don't see Him. I don't feel Him because I'm so caught up in this. But He's near. Psalm 145.18 The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. You ought to memorize those two passages and keep them close at hand for when you need them. The Lord is near. But notice also, He is near and He is armed. Verse 4 I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not only is God near when we call on Him, He's got weapons in His hands. His rod and His staff. Listen, no ancient shepherd who cared about his sheep would ever leave home without these two things in hand. A rod, which just means a club that he wore on his belt, a a club to beat up the wolves and drive away the threats from the sheep. And then, a staff, which is the kind of walking stick used to gather and guide the lamb, sometimes with the crook on it, as you have seen. And so as we look to our shepherd, he's not just standing there with his hands in his pockets. He's alert and awake. He's on guard for his sheep. So let the wolves come, and they will come. But standing between us and their teeth is Christ with a club of righteousness to protect us and to keep us. Remember Psalm 58.6 from a few weeks ago? O God, break the teeth in their mouth, tear out the fangs of the young lions. Our shepherd has a club. And he's got a staff. A staff that he uses to come alongside when we've gone astray and to tap us back on course. This is the discipline of the Lord. His loving care. He disciplines all those He loves, Hebrews reminds us, in order to bring them back on track with Him. And so for the believing sheep, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, these things, these realities comfort us. His protection from the enemy. He's got a club. His discipline for me to keep me on the right path. He's got a staff. His faithfulness to keep coming after me and standing up for me and guiding me along the way so that I will get through this dark valley to the other side and I can know that I'm going to get through because the shepherd is doing these things. I can be sure of this. So that no matter what part of this journey that you're on right now, you can keep the shepherd in sight. You can trust that he is near even when you can't see him, protecting you, guiding you bringing you through as His sheep. Friend, that is the believer's confidence. That's what we can be sure of through faith in Christ, which brings us into the third thing here, and that is the Lord, our shepherd, is kind and gracious and will keep us to the end. Verses 5 and 6, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know this does for Rob. Doesn't that make your heart beat just a little faster to think of that? To see that the Lord has prepared for us both now and in the future? A feast of life now that we share with Him despite the presence of our enemies and the joy of His presence forever in eternity? In fact, notice how there is a shift in the imagery here. 
The shepherd has brought us home and made us guests at his table. And so first of all, our shepherd welcomes us home into the fellowship around his table. That's verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is a celebration. Do you see the image? He's welcomed us into His presence, seated at His banqueting table, which in Scripture is often an image of salvation, of of enjoying rich fellowship with God. You see, our salvation isn't just about getting us out of trouble, it's also about bringing us into fellowship with Him. We are more than just sheep in His fields. We are sons and daughters sitting at His table through Christ. I mean, I love this image as He welcomes us home and He Himself sets a rich table for us to enjoy. It makes me think of my mom. Oh, I wish you could go home with me at least once and experience it. We get there and as soon as we arrive, she's on the porch. Now, she's getting a little older. I hope she didn't hear this. She will. I'll I'll pay for that one. And so she doesn't always hear us like she used to. But as soon as she knows we're there, she is on the porch and she welcomes you with a great, big, warm hug. Even if she's never met you, you're getting hugged. And then she leads you inside and whether you want her to or not, she's helping you with the luggage. And if it's close to mealtime at all, there's food on the breakfast bar and sometimes even when it's not close to mealtime. Because here's the thing that you know when you arrive at that house. You are wanted here. You are loved here. You are welcomed here. This is where you belong. She's been waiting for you. That's the image of this psalm. That's how the Lord has welcomed us. Yes, us, even us who are prodigal sons and daughters. Do you remember the image in that parable? Luke 15.20, the son who has squandered all the good gifts his father gave him, gone to a far country, sinned his fool face off. And it says he rose and he came home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He's been looking for him every day. And he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Verse 22, after he gives his repentant apology, his father cuts him off and says, quickly, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it, let us eat and celebrate, for this son was dead and he's alive again, he was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. It's a celebration. There is a table prepared for us. And even our enemies can't keep us from enjoying it. See, that's what clues me into the fact that we're talking about right now for this part of this verse. Our enemies are still present. We're still in that place of struggle and opposition, still facing the wilderness. But try as they might, they can't keep us from enjoying Him. Oh, do you know this rich banquet that belongs to those who belong to Jesus? This rich spiritual feast? Can can you say with Jesus as He does at one point to the disciples and to the world, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Oh, the depths of His kindness. And look how He describes it at the end of verse 5. You anoint my head with oil, my cup 
overflows. These are, these are images of rich, satisfying joy. He anoints our heads with oil. Now kids, I know that sounds kind of gross. But actually, it was a great kindness. When you arrived after a long journey in those days, your face and your head would be covered with the dust and grime of the road because you'd walked the whole way through the desert regions. And so the gracious host would provide quantities of scented oil to use with a cloth to wipe the dust from your head and to freshen up and get ready for the feast. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus even rebukes a fellow who didn't do that for his guests. And so the gracious host would do this because that that scented oil quickly became a symbol of gladness and joy. Psalm 45 verse 7 even calls it the oil of gladness. Ecclesiastes 9.8 speaks of the enjoyment of life as it says, let not oil be lacking from your head. It's, It's joy. He is providing us with an abundance of joy in His presence. And of course we're talking about a spiritual joy. Not just a joy in circumstances, because circumstances may still stink. You're still in the wilderness. But the the joy of His presence to be anointed with oil also had become an image of the Holy Spirit and of the healing joy of His presence. The Spirit who comes to unite us to Christ and to bring us joy in Him. The fruit of the Spirit is, among other things, joy. You anoint our head with oil Our cup overflows. He fills us to the brim with the wine of His grace. Again, notice that along with the oil, this cup was often a picture of a never-ending grace that is ours in Christ, a gladness in Him. Psalm 104, verse 15 speaks of wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread, Christ is the bread of life, to strengthen man's heart. Heart. And this grace, this wine in the cup, is it comes in a never ending supply. The cup is always full to overflowing. It never runs dry, bringing a continual a flow of satisfaction so that it's, it's a rich feast that we've been invited to share with Him, a feast of the Lord's presence and grace in our lives. Oh, dear one, Christian, are you feeding on this feast daily? Are you hearing His call to the table and drawing near, feasting in His presence, drinking in the joy that He's promised through the Holy Spirit? That's part of the picture that that, that we celebrate, right? That this is what He wants for you. This is what He wants for you. This fellowship with Him. Do you remember remember how He calls the lukewarm church in Laodicea to come back to fellowship with Him? Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, and he's speaking to a wayward church here, he's speaking to a wayward, the wayward believers, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat, sup, celebrate with him, and he with me. He's calling you to that table. He's calling you to that fellowship, even in the midst of the wilderness. Oh, daily communion with Christ, feeding in His presence, drinking in His joy. That's, that, that's part of what we picture when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we'll do here shortly. Right? 
Is not the cup of blessing that we bless a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? We're sharing with Him. We're drawing near to Him. We're receiving from Him. And so there's a table and a feast where we share in the joy of Christ now while we wait for the promise of the life to come. So here's the last thing. God, we see here, has promised to keep working in our lives until He gets us all the way to our eternal home. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Perhaps you're saying, well, what if I can't make it all the way? What if I fail to follow through? What if I, what if I go astray? Of course, that's always the warning that we not go astray. But we know that within ourselves, we will go astray. Notice, for the believer, God has appointed two faithful guardians to come after you and to make sure that you get all the way home. Literally, it says, goodness and mercy will chase me down. Right? It's an aggressive word. It's not just follow behind like a puppy. It's, they'll come after me. <laughs> They're chasing me. They're not going to let me get away. Goodness is God's kindness directed toward me as His child. His sovereign determination to do good for me because of Christ. Mercy, well that's our old friend Hesed. You remember Hesed, God's faithful covenant love, God's gracious sovereign determination to keep His every promise and every pledge that He has made to everyone who are His through Jesus Christ so that it cannot fail? The point being, even when I go astray, these two faithful guardians, which are nothing less than God's own character, these guardians come after me. He pursues me in love. He chases me down with kindness. His kindness that brings me to repentance. He he brings me to that place and restores me to the way of righteousness. He is determined to save all those He has chosen in Christ and marked off for this benefit of salvation. And He will do it. He will not quit. He will not stop. He will continue to chase me down. It says, all the days of my life. To what end? To what purpose? that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, enjoying His presence. Boy, there's a whole sermon there. You see, that's, that's, that's the security that belongs to those who know Christ as their shepherd, who by grace are following as sheep. Is that you? Are you one of His sheep? How do you know? How do you know? Jesus Himself tells us. John 10, 27 and 28, the Good Shepherd says, My sheep, hear My voice. You'll hear Him calling to you through the Gospel. You'll know that it's Him and you'll know that He's calling you to repentance and faith. My sheep, hear My voice. I know them and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. This is the promise of the Good Shepherd to those who belong to Him and are His sheep. Father, would You cause us, every person in this room, 
to hear the voice of the shepherd speaking through your gospel. For those who are already believers to confirm their faith, to assure them that however dark the valley has become, you are near, you will bring us through, and you will continue to chase us down until you get us home. You've got a table prepared. You're not going to waste a morsel. You're going to bring us home. Give us hearts to respond to that with faith. And those who are not yet your sheep, that even here and now they would turn, trust in what you have promised, and they would become your sheep. Grant this grace, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.